Welcome into another episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Sanfilippo, at Philly on Twitter. Joined, as always, by Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. Here we, cu- here we go again. It's, it's, uh, it's broken record time for for this podcast. We've, we've reached the point where, you know, Bob and I try every week to not repeat ourselves. Like, we try not to say something we talked about the last episode. A concerted or even, effort. Yeah, there is yes. a concerted effort, right? And we've, fin- we've gotten to the point now where the Phillies have stagnated to the point where we have to talk about the same things over again. And that's frustrating for us as, as people who are trying to provide you with an entertaining podcast. But at the same time, it's frustrating as a fan of the sport and a fan of the team that it's the same stuff that is killing this Phillies team, who somehow, <laughs> despite as poor as they've played, still sit as of, uh, we're recording on Monday night, the 20th of, of August, still sit, uh, what, a game out of first place behind the Atlanta One Braves? One full game behind the Braves after they beat the Pirates one nothing tonight in Pittsburgh. So. Yeah, and amazingly. So the Phillies dropped 3 of 5 to the pathetic Mets. One game, you know what, Bob, we just did like 25 minutes pre-show me and you right talking about this this team and the one thing we didn't talk about at all was the 24 to 4 debacle it's amazing that that didn't even come up and that's how that's that's it's it's almost like that was it's unnecessary to even talk about that because you got to take the whole collective of how they're playing and playing against bad teams and identify what is going on there yeah, if we were recording this podcast on on Friday morning, uh, we would certainly dedicate a lot of it to to what happened on Thursday in that game. My thought is this: who who cares? Because there are so many larger issues at this point with the bullpen, with this offense, with what we've seen now out of Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez over the last couple of weeks. There are so many larger, more important issues to address. So if if you want to talk about Oh, uh, you know, Gabe Kapler disgraced the game of baseball, which personally I don't think he did. I wrote that on the website last week. I don't care if the Phillies lose 40-1 to 1 or if they lose 2-1. to 1. Uh, I don't care if Scott Kingery throws the ball to the plate 48 miles an hour or if, if a reliever throws wow. it 89 miles an hour. I don't care. I really don't. And and it, to me, it's irrelevant. What, what matters is that this team, again, this past weekend, failed to capitalize on a favorable portion of their schedule. And they failed to beat a, a bad Mets team. And we'll talk about why they didn't beat a, a bad Mets team or win this series against that team in, in a minute. That's the story. And to me, there are so many larger, more important pressing issues than some played out narrative about it not being Philly uh, to quit in the seventh inning of a, a, an 11 no, run game. That's BS. That's terrible. And, and I, you know, I, I had a lot of people who came to me and said, Can you believe what Kapler did? Because you know I'm not the biggest yeah, Kapler. Yeah, because I, 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 to be honest with you, I thought you'd be all over that. <laughs> no, and to be honest, I, I was perfectly all right with what Kapler did. I, I did have a problem with Scott Kingery throwing lollipops. Instead of actually pitching, you know, like Roman Quinn comes in, at least he's throwing the ball 80 miles an hour and trying to throw the ball over the plate or whatever. You know, yeah, it's still like BP, but at least he's throwing a fastball. Freaking Scott Kingery could have been pitching to me in Sunday softball. I mean, that's what that's what he was throwing. And so my, I was more upset with Scott Kingery than I was with Gabe Kapler. I mean, you know, the Phillies got their ass kicked, and Kapler had another game to manage that day and didn't want to burn the bullpen. Good on him. That's the right move. You know, that's the right thing to do. 
Um, but Scott Kingery, you got come on, you got to do a little better than that. But I mean, but you're right, and, and you're talking about losing to these bad teams. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that might be a little bit weird, but what if I said to you, it doesn't matter if it's a good team or a bad team. The Phillies are the Phillies. I I don't think that the Phillies miss opportunities against bad teams because they sometimes beat the bad teams, and they sometimes beat the teams that they probably shouldn't beat. So you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, the Phillies are what they are, and whether it's a good team or a bad team, the only people that the Phillies have to worry about is themselves. They beat more often than not. They beat themselves more often than not. When they win a game, they win a game because they earned it. So either they're earning their win or they're beating themselves on most nights. I'll give Degrom, you know, give the Mets the Degrom game. He was. Lights out. He was awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, the a reason field, the guy field. has a one seven one ERA this season. You know, it, it, to me, he should win the Cy Young. And right. I don't. We, we actually, I do want to talk about Aaron Noel later in the show, and I don't want to talk about necessarily who should win the Cy Young at this point. But there's a reason that he is who he is, and so I have no problem with what happened on Saturday, though it was frustrating. But losing twenty four to four, losing, you know, on Sunday night, I thought was the most inexcusable loss of the series for sure. Um, I just and I will say this one thing about the game on, on Thursday the first game of the doubleheader the, the genius of Gabe Kapler is that the conversation became about using Roman Quinn for 42 pitches and watching Scott Kingery throw the ball to the plate at 48 miles an hour and it took the complete focus off of Ranger Suarez who was God awful. I mean, sub-professional in that game. And really, again, a, a defense that was horrendous and an offense that didn't do anything against the guy that, that came into the game with, what, a plus-5 ERA. Right. And so the, the focus of that game was completely uh, different than really what it should have been. I don't care what happened in the sixth inning on. I care about what happened in those first five innings when the Phillies did try to win the game. That's the larger issue at play Of course. You're right, 100%. And and you talk about this game or or this series with the Mets, and they lose three of five. I mean, they're five and eight against the Mets this season. They were outscored in this series 65 to 40. And going back to late July, they're four and eight against the Reds, Padres, and Mets. And like you said... It's, it's not necessarily about who they play. It's about themselves, and I think that that's what we're finding out here. And I don't know that you can actually call the Mets an inferior team to the Phillies, and I know that that sounds crazy. I mean, they're an afterthought. They're in fourth place in the NL East. They haven't been in it in months. But when you stack up these two teams offensively against one another, the, the similarities are startling. I mean, just check this out. The, the Phillies, 236 team batting average this season. Mets, 236 team batting average. On-base percentage for the Phillies, 316. Mets, 314. Slugging percentage for the Phillies, 394. Mets, 389. Phillies OPS, 710. Mets, 704. Phillies score 3.3. Uh, 4.31 runs per game, which is 20th in baseball, versus the Mets 4.24 runs per game, which is 21st. I mean, they are almost identical in terms of their offensive output this season as a collective unit. And so when you look at the Mets starting pitching, which is is pretty damn good when you look at uh, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Stephen Matz, they are a functional team. They've run into injuries. Um, the offense did not have timely hits for a long time. Their bullpen was a mess, and that's why they are what they are. But they really profile in many ways similar to the Phillies. And so it's it's not a surprise that the Phillies don't dominate this team. With that said, 5-8 and eight is completely unacceptable. 
Um, but, you know, you nailed it. It doesn't matter who they play. They can play the Red Sox and look like a legitimate contender over four games, which they did at the end of July and then this past week in each of those two game sets. And then they can play the bottom feeders of the National League and look like a bottom feeder in the National League. Yeah, and it, it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if you're going to make five errors in a game, and I know they were only credited with four, but boy, oh boy, Cesar Hernandez has to catch that throw in from left field. <laughs> it one hopped right past his glove. I mean, it was online from Hoskins, and he just flat out missed it. So that, in my mind, is a fifth error. Um, now, there's a reason they are the worst team in Major League Baseball in defensive runs saved this season, according yeah. to Sports Info Solutions, who we will reference later in the show uh, when we get to Odubel Herrera, who's also a hot topic. Uh, I mean, they are dead last, uh, minus 102 defensive runs saved this season. Yeah, well, I mean, so here, but here's here's all you need. Here's you know something that we didn't even mention statistically, but we'll I'll bring it up for you. You know, and I know they just lost a game by 20 runs, but didn't they win a game by 20 runs at the beginning of the season as well? Yeah, they beat the Marlins back in April, yeah. I think 20 to one. Right. Okay, so they won by 19. So all right, they've now played um, 124 games. They're a plus eight run differential. That's it. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's it's fine. You want to be plus. You don't want to be minus. So being plus eight is okay. But over 124 games, I mean, it's not that much. It pretty much makes you a, a, a mediocre, average, okay team. And, and you know, I, I'm not – we've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I'm not big on, you know, websites putting out their power rankings because it's just a bunch of Joe Schmoes. Like me and you could sit here and do our power rankings if we really wanted sure. to. Sure. Right? What is it? But what? But does that really make it any any more legitimate? Right? Just because we follow the sport, are we more legitimate than somebody else or whatever? So it really doesn't matter. It's just it's just a it's just an opinion. Um, so I don't put a lot of stock in them. And you know, we, we talked about you know Reese Hoskins getting upset at was it ESPN or Sports Illustrated? I forget who it was who he was upset with because um, they had the Phillies ranked eleventh. You remember um, what la- last time the, the Philadelphia was an underdog? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. But well, it, most pe- most people who do power rankings have the Phillies somewhere in that you know. 11 to 13 range. Which is completely fair. That's where they uh, belong. Also, if you buy into the whole Pythagorean win-loss thing, uh, yeah. according to baseball reference, it, they should be a 63 and 61 team, which when you score 534 runs and allow 526 and have a plus 8 run differential, uh, that's that's about right. I mean, that's what they are. But in reality, they are 12 games over 500. They do find themselves very much in the thick of the National League playoff race uh, in a league and I don't mean just the NL East, but the entire National League that doesn't have a, a true powerhouse team in it. And so that's why we are playing make-believe on August 20th, and that's why we're talking about this team potentially still very much being able to win this division uh, or qualify for a wild card. I mean, they are in it. They can do it. But when you have games like last night in which they just they, they get pummeled, I mean, they got beat down by the Mets twice in a four-day span and it's just it's extremely concerning and maybe they go into Washington this week and uh, they take care of Tanner Roark tomorrow night and they beat Max Scherzer on Thursday and and we feel great about him again because that seems to kind of be the the ebb and flow of this team all season but you know they've they've scored two runs or less 37 times this season and when they have done that they are 5 and 32 but when they score three runs or more they're 63 and 24 and they are 9-8 and eight when they score exactly three runs, which underscores the, the point that we have made week in and week out on this show, which is that 
if the Phillies offense can put together a functional or a quasi-competent offensive output, they have a chance to win games. It's just that they so frequently fail to do so. And because of that, you have games like happen on Saturday where Jake Arrieta goes six innings, he allows one run, and they don't win. I mean, how many of those types of starts have they spoiled over the last two or three weeks? Or you get what you have last night where the starter isn't sharp. You know, Nick Pavetta goes out there, and he was terrible. He allowed eight hits, six earned runs, and three and two-thirds innings. And they have no chance of coming back. And I do know that they won the second game of the Red Sox series after a bad Velasquez start. It does happen from time to time. But they consistently have no ability to overcome shaky starts like that. I mean, so what you saw on Wednesday night against the Sox was a complete anomaly. It just, to me, that's the the essence of this team. If you get a decent starting pitching performance, you will win. If you do not, you won't. And from you know time to time they're going to waste a really good one because that's what they are and and is that enough to get this team into the postseason it, it shouldn't be but it might be uh and you know because they play in a flawed division and i think that that has become uh, clearly apparent over the last couple of weeks here not not to go off onto a very small tangent but considering that stat that you just threw out there's 63 and 24 when they score at least three runs does it make you wonder why then they don't take the approach of let's scratch out a run here and there like you you know what i'm saying because if that's all it takes to have that good of a record instead of going for big innings wouldn't you be better suited to get a run here or run there and they will add up to three or four i i don't know yeah it's all a question i mean if you're I winning 72 percent really. of your games once you score three runs uh that would be a question worth considering um yeah, i for, mean for sure yeah I don't know. And again, this is why my frustration has shifted. But you know it's what, Anthony? Listen, though. You, you, if you do that, then you're taking the bat out of the hands of Carlos Santana. Oh, stop, and he, it. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like my, This is why I think over the course of the past month, month and a half, ever really since the All-Star break probably, my, my frustration has shifted from the bench – and I mean, I mean, manager and coaching staff to the organizational philosophy, which is upstairs. It, it just bothers me that this that this is what they're doing because they think it's going to work when this when it's staring you right in the face that all you need on average is somewhere between three and four runs, and you're going to win seventy percent of the time. And you're not, you never try, you still are instructed to go for big innings, big innings, big innings. And I don't just think that's Gabe. I think that's more than Gabe. I, I think he's on board with it by all means. And I think that this coaching staff is on board with it. But I think that that is coming from upstairs. It has to be. It has to be. And we're going to get into something a little bit more. And I'm going to dive into this even more when we talk about our favorite center fielder and what to do with him. Um, but the, the thing of it is, is that I, I'm really, I, I'm not mad at the players anymore. I get mad when they make stupid errors like they did in the 24 to four loss. I'm not mad at the manager or the pitching coach or anyone else other than the organizational philosophy. And I don't know who's directly responsible for that because I have a feeling that it's more than just Matt Klintak. I have a feeling it's kind of above him. I, and it involves a lot of people. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm Tom Cruise in the firm, <laughs> and I'm uncovering all of the dirty secrets from within. That's what I feel like. Well, let, like I've let been, me throw this I've been roped in, and I've been I'm trying to figure it out now. 
Let me, let me throw this at you. So they are 28th in batting average. They're 19th in on-base percentage. They're 22nd in weighted on-base average, 22nd in OPS. They have the third highest strikeout rate in all of baseball. They strike out about 24% of their bats as a team. The whole idea behind this organization is that they are progressive thinkers and they uh, aren't going to do what teams have traditionally done in the past. They adapt, they're malleable, they, they find the value in the margins. I think that that would go on this, this regime's tombstone when it's all said and done, right? That's what they've, they've professed to the media and they've professed to this fan base since arriving. That's great. But to me, a traditional thinker would say, well, we're 12 games over 500 and we're a game out of first place, so it's gotten us this far, so it must be working. A progressive team, however, one that is able to kind of self-scout, understand its own deficiencies, understand where they need to get better, would look at it and say, yeah, we're 12 games over 500. Yes, we're very much in the thick uh, of this division race, and we could potentially make the playoffs, and that's lovely. And, and a lot of people didn't expect us to be here, and we are, and go us. And they all slap each other on the ass, and, you know, and they, they feel good about it. Awesome. To me, though, you, you should look at this and say, we could be better. And if we can generate three to four to five runs of offensive night, and maybe we change our approach a little bit and not just do what we've done for the first 124 games this season, we're going to be a hell of a lot better off for it. And so to me, it is interesting. And and to go back to your point, why don't they adapt? Why don't they change? They seem to be so dead set on this idea of we're going to play for the beginning. This is who we are. This is what's got us this far, and we're going to live or die by it. Whereas I think a a more progressive or a more – adaptive team might say, you know what, maybe we should look at this down the stretch because it could be the difference between us uh, being in the playoffs or being out of them. I'm going to give you a simple answer as to why they're not. And and, and it's you're going to laugh when I first say it, but then when I explain it, maybe you'll buy it. The computer tells them no. Really? I, I, let me get let me get into it. Let me let me I know see, let me but let me explain. Because I think that they were progressive when it came to the bullpen. Think about this for a second. They now have Sir Anthony Dominguez pretty much locked in. He still every once in a while goes into that 7th or 8th inning in a, in a high leverage situation. But pretty much now, he is their ninth inning guy. And I think that the numbers finally came around and they realized what we were doing with the bullpen just was not working. And we have to do something different. And, of course, you know, getting Neshek back really helps. Obviously, you know, you get a veteran arm in there, although he can only throw every other day and maxes out at 15 pitchers or whatever his silly-ass rules are. But the fact of the matter is is that they've kind of changed their philosophy on the bullpen, and it probably took some, you know, some computation, some algorithmic explanation as to why they should change that. But there's probably still something telling them, stick to this. When it comes to the to the their approach at the plate, because it's going to prove out, it's going to prove out. That to me is the only reason why, because they're like I said, they're showing an ability to be progressive in some areas, and I think that the bullpen is the is the greatest example of that. We killed this bullpen for two months. We killed it, and we killed the way they were being used and abused. Now they're being used correctly, and they're getting better production. Still get a, you still get a Tommy Hunter 
every once in a while, right? You still get one of those bad innings every once in a while. Yeah, but at like the same- against Boston last week, and he yeah. goes, uh, who, who took him out of the yard? Was it uh, um, Holt, right? Brock Holt. Yeah, Brock, Brock Holt, Holt hit the home run. And he yeah. goes, I would have thrown that pitch again. Like, dude, that pitch yeah. went 410 feet into the second <laughs> deck. So, yeah, like, it's cool that I, I get what you're trying to do here, but that, yeah. nobody wants to hear that right, right but, now. But they, they fixed that. They fixed yeah. the bullpen. Yeah. But they have not fixed the lineup. And instead, Gabe is left trying to juggle the lineup to see if he can find something that, you know, sparks and, and something. And I will say they have made they've made changes. They've tried to fix this lineup. I mean, they've they've gone to Nick Williams on a more steady basis. They've played as Drupal Cabrera over Scott Kingery uh, quite a bit lately. Uh, yep. Wilson Ramos obviously was a big addition here. Uh, you, you know, and and so they have done things. It's not like the Phillies just with said, the lineup. Well, yeah, with they've the done lineup, things with yes. the lineup, but, yes. but from a philosophical approach, yes, Correct. it seems like there have not been significant changes to, to what they're trying to do on a day in day out basis. It's it's amazing to me though because I think that most people that watched the uh, Braves lose on Sunday and watched then Washington Nationals drop six of eight games, including a twelve one beatdown by the Miami Marlins on Sunday. And then they watch the Phillies get hammered by the Mets on Sunday night on a, in the national stage. They go, who wants to win this division? And I, I really think that that has become the pressing question here. These three teams have been so unimpressive over the last week. And, I mean, the Braves, who were, were heating up, they were really good over the last two or three weeks, they just get, they get beat down by the Rockies. They blew two games in the ninth uh, on Thursday night and Saturday night. And Saturday night was especially awful. They took a 3-0 lead into the ninth inning. They had two outs, nobody on base, and the Rockies tied the game in the ninth, and then they won it in the tenth. And those are crippling losses. Now, they rebound with the win tonight in Pittsburgh, but you see the flaws of the Atlanta Braves, and you see the flaws of the Washington Nationals. And the Nationals, I said a couple weeks ago, were the team that I thought was going to kind of leapfrog the Braves and Phillies down the stretch. They're the team with the most talent. They're the team with the experience. They're the team with frontline, big-time starting pitching, and Max Scherzer and Bryce, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and Steven Strasburg coming off the disabled list. Like These are guys that have been there before. I really expected them to make a move, and they had an opportunity to do so. And they just can't get out of their own way. They're and that's with Bryce Harper yeah, being out of his mind since the you know, All-Star break. And you know what? And here, I'll, I'll give some props to Gabe here. The difference, the difference between the Phillies, Braves, and Nationals right now is that Kapler and Snicker in Atlanta have their teams believing in each other, you know, kind of together in that clubhouse, kind of pulling the same rope, all kind of saying the same things. Even the guys who probably aren't, 100% bought in. They're not, you know, saying anything publicly. Meanwhile, the, the Nationals are just like, this is a joke with Dave Martinez down there, right? And I think that that – I think that's the difference. Yeah, like and, I, I feel like that that's a team that kind of knows that they just don't have it, you know, that yeah. that it factor. And when you look at the team, the lineup is, is, is so, certainly formidable. Um, they've scored the fo- uh, fifth most runs in the National League this season. They have the 13th best OPS in all of baseball. Um, you know, the, the bullpen is, has had a lot of injuries. They have the 12th best bullpen ERA despite those injuries. The thing that's crazy about the Nationals, and, and if you go back over the last five or six years, you think about the Nationals and you think about starting pitching and how good it's been. You know, they have the 21st best ERA 
from starters this season yeah. in I mean, all they got baseball. Sh- Scherzer, I mean, and, Scherzer and nothing. It's I mean, Scherzer and nothing. And, and Tanner Roark, who the, the Phillies are going to face on Tuesday night, has been better his last two or three turns through the rotation. He has been a, a pretty decent pitcher over the past few seasons for that team, but he really has struggled um, up until his, like I said, over the last couple weeks he's, he's gotten it together. But he's been a mess. Gio Gonzalez, who started on Sunday, has been an absolute disaster for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Strasburg's been hurt. They've been starting a lot of young guys that aren't ready, and that's really Jeremy Helkson. Hurt. Yeah, you have Jeremy Helkson though, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and he's fine. But they've just had uh, they've had a lot of tough losses late in games, and they've had a ton of injuries, and, and that's why they are where they are now. Six and a half games behind the Phillies, seven and a half games behind the Braves as we speak. They can get back into it. The Phillies have a chance to bury this team once and for all this week. I don't know that they will do it. I don't know that they're capable of doing it. But this this Washington team is begging to be put out of their misery, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Phillies can finally do it. Uh, because if they lose two out of three at home to the Phillies this week, that's it. They're not coming back from that over the last thirty-five games of the season. Yeah, no, you're right, I, and I, I think it's going to be. In, I think the games. It's going to come down. The, the series is going to come down to Thursday. Um, I, I kind of like Washington a little bit tomorrow. Um, just because Velasquez has just not been right lately. And then I'd kind of like the Phillies on Wednesday behind Zach Eflin. And that and then sets thir- up the Thursday matinee between Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer. And Max Scherzer, yeah. Which should be a gem, which should be great. It should be kind of equivalent to what we were getting for six innings out of the degrom Arietta matchup before Arietta was pulled. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, you have that – possibility and that would be great and I, i'm looking kind of looking forward to it um but that's i mean that's not a guarantee even no even though noel is on the hill i mean going up against scherzer um so that's that's the game that's going to ultimately probably decide this series and and decide you know where things head for the phillies as they go north to toronto yeah i mean i, I think that so. washington and i don't i don't mean to sound takey here but i think that washington needs to sweep that series if they have any designs of winning the division i mean we're getting to the point now where winning two out of three and, and gaining one game on the phillies isn't going to be a difference maker for them i mean they've got to start gaining meaningful ground and the best way to do it is to win head to head so the phillies have to go down there and, and at least get one game uh, they really have no choice. I mean, they can ill afford to get swept themselves. But yeah, I think uh, they'll get one. You know, I think they'll get one. Washington is is kind of in its its now or never mode. Um, you know, I give you credit because you've liked the Braves all along more than than I have. Uh, so I started to kind of look at the Braves and I say, well, how is this team, you know, at the point in which they are and. If you look at it, I think that the conventional wisdom is that the Phillies have stronger starting pitching, and by a lot of metrics they do, but if you just go off of ERA, uh, Braves starters actually have the sixth best ERA in Major League Baseball this season, 3.63, and the Phillies are eighth at 3.77. Phillies war and FIP are significantly better, and in a lot of ways they've been more impressive. You know why? (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) How many unearned runs have the Phillies allowed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're at, yeah, we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. Um, but really, the Braves' issue has been their bullpen, and we saw that this weekend, and, and I just talked about that a little bit. They're 19th in bullpen ERA, so that's kind of their Achilles heel. Um, 
it's just it shapes up to be a very interesting final six weeks to this season because there's just not one team that is so clearly better. If all things were equal, I would certainly say right now I would I would take the Nationals. I just would. But considering their deficit and, and really what the Braves have shown to be their weaknesses lately and then and then we watch the Phillies uh, you know every single game so we are uh, intimately familiar with their with their problems. I just I don't know. I mean, you can honestly flip a coin at this point. Fangraph still likes the Phillies, by the way. If even after the Braves win tonight, the Braves have the game lead in the NL East. Fangraph still thinks it's better than fifty-five percent odds that, that the Phillies make the playoffs and uh, that and that they win the division. I will say this to you, and I think that you're in agreement. The Phillies have to win the division if they plan on making the postseason because oh, yeah. I don't think that the wild card is going to be there for them. No, it's not. The, the, there's team, other teams playing much better. I mean, nobody's talking about you – know, you mentioned Colorado sweeping Atlanta, but nobody's really talking about Colorado. Colorado's for the last 46 games have all been against teams with winning records, and they're 30-16 and 16 in those 46 games. That's a pretty damn impressive statistic. And another team that no one's talking about is the St. Louis Cardinals who've kind of gotten hot all of a sudden. Uh, Matt Carpenter has been in just on fire for them. Um, and so they're another – so I think the wild card is going to – you know, you got three teams battling in the west. you got a couple teams battling for it in the central. I, I just don't see it coming out of the east. I think it's a one team only out of the east. It's win the division or don't go. Yeah, there's no one true powerhouse in the National League this season. We thought it was the Dodgers for a while. Uh, you know, the Cubs are certainly a strong team. They, they have the experience. They've been there a few times now in recent years. But they're not a 100-win team. You know, so there, there's no clear-cut absolute slam dunk favorite to win the NL or to even really run away with a division at this point. It is wide open, but... The idea of having to outlast the, the Nationals and the Braves seems a lot more appetizing than, than trying to jockey with teams like the Rockies, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Dodgers, and, and whoever else, the, the Diamondbacks. I mean, I, I just think that that's a much more difficult road uh, for no, sure. You're 100% correct. You're 100% correct. By now, the way, wh- 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 how would you like a World Series Rockies A's? I don't think that would be great for the ratings. Hey, they're say. the two hottest now, teams in baseball like that? right now. Yeah, would you like that? Yeah, sure you would because <laughs> because you love baseball and say do I and that there is a there's a very compelling storyline there. But yeah, other than us, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Unless you live in Oakland or Colorado, I don't know that you're tuning in for that one. I, I got to say. You can, right. you can just watch football where you you can two hand touch a guy to the ground instead. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, that's a, I wish we I wish we could tackle that subject. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about what the Phillies kind of are, are looking at offensively. And we've spent so much time on this show talking about their their weaknesses and what really ails this offense. And a, a guy that we have spoken very favorably of uh, throughout the season, throughout his hot streaks, his cold streaks, has been Odubel Herrera. Uh, I can't tell you how many times this season I've tweeted out after Herrera has a big hit, you just can't win with Odubel Herrera in a real mocking tone. Um, I, I think that he has kind of gotten a bad deal from the fans uh, since he's arrived here. I understand his value. I, I understand that he financially makes a, a ton of sense, and I, he, he clearly has the ability to carry this team at times. But uh, if you dig up the numbers uh, from mid-May – 
it, it has been ugly, uh, really, really ugly. Um, since May 18th, his last 76 games played in 327 plate appearances, he has 13 home runs, which is, which is fantastic. He already has a career eye in homers. Uh, but he only has seven doubles in that span. Um, he's hitting 223. He's only walking in about 4% of his at-bats. He's striking out in nearly a quarter of his at-bats, 264 on base percentage, and a 649 OPS. I mean, he's been terrible. And from the beginning of the season up until uh, May 17th, in 167 plate appearances, the walk rate was up around 10%. He was only striking out 14% of the time. The OPS was 989, and he was obviously hitting 361. We thought he might be the MVP of the National League this year. Uh, his, his walk and strikeout rates aren't really that drastically different from his career norms. Uh, they really actually are kind of in line with, with what he's done all along. Uh, but it, it just feels way worse. Um, he's really going through it right now, and the extra base hits as a, as a total are way down, uh, and he just looks lost right now. I, I don't know where you're at on him or, or what your initial impressions are in this conversation, but but go for it. So I, everything that you've said about Odubel Herrera is accurate. Everything that you've said about him, it, it, can, it, just, it just cannot be disputed. He's had... An incredibly inconsistent tale of two halves of a season, in all honesty. Um, And it's befuddling how you can go from a guy who had a, what was it, a 45-on game on base streak earlier this season to now being a guy that Gabe Kapler says... Well, if he could just hit 269 the rest of the way, we'll we'll be happy with him. You know, <laughs> like like how does that happen? Like you know, where do, where does how do you go so, from one extreme to the other? Um, and yes, his his defense is not as good as it once was. Um, I think there's reasons for that as well. Which, well, which let's let's just which I'll get into in a minute. To note that for a second, if you go back to 2015. He yeah. had uh, 10 defensive runs saved in 2015, six defensive runs saved in 2016, four defensive runs saved last year, and he's negative 10 this year. And we will talk about the reasons why because uh, Sports Info Solutions, uh, and namely Mark Simon of Sports Info Solutions, had a great piece on that uh, earlier today. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but go ahead. I, all of that said about Odubel Herrera, and yes, he's had a couple of mindless mistakes on the bases too. So every, of course, every one of his mistakes is is magnified. Um, and I and I do agree that you know you can kind of look away if it's only you know two or three over the course of a year. But when it gets into double digits, then it's it's a problem. And he's probably around ten at this point. Where you sit there with and you're scratching your head, and Gabe <laughs> Kapler says after the game, you know, I I brought Odubel in and we we talked about it, and he yeah. knows, and and so we're good now. Yeah, which and, I, until I don't two know weeks later when he when he does it again. Yeah, so. I, I don't know if any of that's really happening. But anyway, um, all of that said, and all the good stuff you could say about Roman Quinn, who can come in, he's better defensively, which he is. Um, he's and you know he, he's he's faster, he's going to steal bases, all that good stuff. I would still stick with Odubel Herrera, but on one condition, that you let Odubel Herrera be Odubel Herrera. And this, is, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, where I think this is an organizational philosophy mistake. I think the Phillies are directly responsible for Odubel's struggles. 
Because there is nothing in this guy's history to suggest this prolonged of a slump. Yeah, I mean, he's always been streaky, but this has been extreme. This is, this is extreme, right? Okay, yes, he has been streaky at times, but this is going to a point that is that he's never had before. And he's not doing anything close to what he used to do. I, I suggest that if you look at video of Odubel Herrera as a hitter from the beginning of the season when he was on fire, then look at him around, you know, early to mid-June where he wasn't hitting as well, but he was putting the ball out of the yard. He's got 19 home runs, right? So he was putting the ball out of the ballpark. He was hitting them pretty regularly. And then look at him now when he's, he's just miserable. And you will see this progression. Oduble, when he was hitting like he like he knows how to hit, stood so far back in the box. His 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 front foot would be almost outside of the batter's box. That's how far back he was, and he would be a great bad ball hitter. Um, you know, it, it'd be funny like he would swing at a pitch one time. You're like, oh my god, what are you swinging at, Oduble? And then the next pitch, he'd hit a line drive the opposite way. You're like, oh my god, how does that happen? How do you swing so poorly on one pitch and then do that the next? So he did that, but then there was a sudden change. He moved a little bit closer, and that's when he started jerking some home runs out of the park. And then he moved even closer to the plate. Now his first step is back into the well, man. He's stepping so far out of the box that he is trying to turn those hips and pull everything because that's where his power swing is. And I guarantee you, because he has never been like this on a prolonged for a prolonged period, that this is something that he's being told to do, that they this is how they want him to play the game at the plate. They don't want him up there trying to get singles the other way. They don't want him up there, you know, just trying to get on base with contact because he's not a big walker, right? I mean, he's not a guy. So if maybe if he and maybe the difference is, and maybe this is it, Bob, and this just came to me. Maybe if Oduble had a better eye at the plate and would walk more regularly, they wouldn't try to change him because at least then he's he's going to get on base via the walk and then he might get a hit and you know maybe hit 15 home runs over the course you know of the what, year. You know what's whatever. really weird about that, though? Like, So his rookie year in 2015, he only walked 28 times, and that was the thing. He was like a free swinger, and he didn't walk a lot. And then in 2016, he comes back, and he's a completely different player. He walked 63 times. Yeah. And it, all of a sudden, it was like, well, that, this is like one of his assets. This is like one of the things that he really does well. And then last year, he went back to not drawing any walks. He dropped back down to 31 walks. And now this season, he's right back at 31 walks again, and he – Clearly, I think anyway, right. surpassed that. But yes, I mean he's not up there. He he's certainly not a patient hitter by design. Right, and so I think that I think that they look at that and say if he's not going to be a patient hitter, then we can't run. We can't sit there and say I hope that he gets on base with a hit. So the best thing that we can have him do is hit the ball out of the ballpark. Again, this is a baseball philosophy. This is not just this is not just the Phillies. This is all over the, all over the league. But I think it's if you're looking for players that it has an adverse effect on, there are some that it's going to affect more than others. And I think Odubel Herrera is a perfect case study of a player who was a good hitter, a really good hitter, who was no longer a good hitter 
because of the way the game has changed. So and when so does that conversation take place, though? I mean, so like, does it take place on May 18th when he wakes up hitting 361, or does it take place in the second week of June when he went through a, a stretch of two to three weeks where he was completely unproductive? I mean, so I think know, that's if, so if I that think wasn't that's prob- the. I think Go that's ahead. probably when it happened. If you're asking me, in, in all honesty, if when did it take place? So he's hitting 361. They're not going to change anything, right? I mean, he's leading the league in hitting. Everything's fantastic, whatever. Then he struggles for a bit. It's like a three-week period where he was struggling. And I think that, that that's, it's at that point that they sit there and say, well, try this. And all of a sudden, he starts hitting home runs because the ball is being – the way he's being pitched, it's probably a happy zone for him to turn and jerk the ball out of the park. So that's what happens. Move in a little closer to the plate, get those hips out first, turn on those pitches that are down and in or wherever they are, wherever he, where, wherever the ball, you know, people were pitching him. Well, now teams have adjusted, and they're not throwing the ball there anymore. And he's still trying to do the same thing. And because he's not walking, because he's not getting on base, they don't want him to go back to trying to just get hits. They're telling him that this is what you got to do. This is what we need you to do. And when he can't do it, eh, we'll throw Roman Quinn out there. And you know what's crazy? So he has he has 14 homers in 2017, and he has 19 this year, and he'll, he'll probably end up with, I don't know, t- 21 to 25. Well, yeah, Seems like a pretty fair range at this point. Yeah. But he has, he has um, I guess, 16 doubles this season. He had 42 doubles a year ago. I mean, yeah. he's not going to get to half of that at this rate. Um, and, unless he gets hot again. And so he just he really is a completely different hitter. Uh, this was a guy that had 59 extra base hits total in 138 games last year. And right now, it, you add up the homers, the triples, and the doubles, and he's at, yeah, he's at 38 total for the year. Um, yeah. and, and so he just – the thing is, I can deal with him uh, faking the turn to second base and being tug out at, at first in a critical moment when he's hitting – 290 and he's he's going to hit 25 homers or pop 40 doubles or he's playing an above average center field I can deal with the occasional mental lapse where he doesn't go attack a ball that he, he should have or that he doesn't call off a left or right fielder or that he gets picked off like or he doesn't run out a ball like I can deal with it when he is one of the most productive center fielders uh, from an offensive standpoint in all of baseball I have a harder time justifying it when the guy's hitting basically 230 for half a season. And we, like I said, we've been very pro Odubel Herrera on this show, but it does reach a point where you start to have to kind of reevaluate your stance on guys. Now, you said that you would stick with Herrera over uh, Roman Quinn, and, and this is really the question that you have to ask yourself. Certainly, Odubel Herrera has a, a higher ceiling. He can put together stretches over a three, four-week span where he plays at an MVP level. We've seen that as recently as this season. Whereas Roman Quinn, he's, he, he's not going to be that guy. He, he can steal some bases. He can play some solid defense. He might uh, you know hit for a higher average at this point based on what we've seen from Herrera over the last two months. So what do you do? Do you go for upside uh, in an offense that could clearly use some some boom to it? Or do you make that incremental, marginal, more conservative upgrade by going to Quinn? And and that's really what the Phillies have to weigh out over the last month and a half of the year. And we've seen that they're going to Quinn more frequently. He is playing more. And I think he will continue to play more so long as Odubel Herrera continues to struggle. But that's really the the philosophical question that this team has to answer. Do we want the upside or do we want the consistency? And yeah, that's and, what they and, have to weigh out here. And the problem is is that they're taking I think they're taking 
the easy way out, and it may not be the best way out. The Would easy you way want out playing is playing Herrera four or five times a week and sprinkling in some Roman Quinn. Sprinkling in yeah. some Roman Quinn. Yeah, that's the that's the easy way out. And it's not the it's not and that's what I'm saying. Like Kapler comes out and says in an interview, um and, and it was great. It was a great little bit. Like so I don't know if you even caught it. I, it was uh jeez, I don't know I don't know if it was the Friday night game. Um that uh, I'm watching the T V broadcast and um uh, what's his name? The play-by-play guy, uh, Tom McCarthy, says. Uh, oh, I was talking to Gabe before the game about. So he Ogu- stopped talking about the cheesesteaks for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. He did stop talking about cheesesteaks. Pork nachos. <laughs> and he goes, I "Was talking to Gabe before the game, and he was saying, you know, only if if Oduble would just give hit the rest of the season, the numbers he has right now, we'd be fine with that." And Cruck said. Oh, so you wanted to? So I guess they're just happy with him being an average player. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's and Crux right on with that. He's spot on with that because Odubel's better than this. He's better than this. And even if he goes, even you know, basically what I guess what Kapler's basically saying is he's not hitting 269 right now. He's hitting a lot lower than that. The, the average is dropping because of how poorly he's hitting. If he could just get back to hitting 269, we'd be fine. But that's not enough. And Crux identifying it, saying he is better than that, and you need more than that. He has one extra base hit this month. One. And really, if you go back even further, I think it's three since July 24th. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And none of this really addresses the, the defensive issues that he's had. And I know I, I talked about it, you know, the negative 10 defensive runs saved the season, but... Um, let me just read you this um, from Mark Simon of yeah. Sports Info Solutions, because I think that this is something that we, we have to talk about. Uh, he says that Odubel Herrera is having issues on a ball he's never had before. The one hit to shallow center field. Per StatCast, Herrera is playing at an average depth of 323 feet this season, seven feet deeper than he typically plays. He's trading off balls falling in front of him for making catches on deep balls. But it's been a net negative. He's cost the team 11 runs on range and positioning. Consider this. Let's take the area 45 feet to left center and 45, re- uh, 45 feet uh, to right center from straightaway center field. All right, so 45 feet to the left and right from dead center. On balls hit at least 360 feet to that area, uh, the Phillies have converted 60% of those balls into outs. So if you look at that and then you compare it to the best defensive team in the National League, which is the Arizona Diamondbacks, they convert roughly 67% of such balls uh, in those zones into outs, which equates to a dozen more doubles and triples spared uh, just on balls hit to those spots in particular. Now you go, oh, well, why don't, what does that really mean? It means that he's not getting the balls that other team center fielders are getting to. And this was a guy that used to be an above-average center fielder. Now, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if he has lost a step, uh, not to be cliche, but is it that? Or is it that he's taking his offense with him out into center field? Or is it that his confidence is just so rattled that he can't do anything uh, at the rate at which he used to? I don't know what it is, but this is a huge problem. When you have a bad base runner, a guy who, I'll be honest with you, I kind of thought it was a lazy narrative at one point in time to say that he, he lacks baseball IQ or that he doesn't 
play the game or, you know, really focus in on the, the, the finer points of baseball. I thought that that was kind of lazy, but I think that there's something to be said for that at this point. And when you compare what he does now to, to Roman Quinn on the defensive side of things, and Quinn's played roughly 70 innings in the outfield this season for the Phillies, and he saved two defensive runs at this point. So he is the better center fielder. He has more range. He gets better reads. He has a better arm. Uh, these things are indisputable at this point. So what do you do there? And I thought it was really interesting late in games over the last couple of weeks that Roman Quinn was replacing Odubel Herrera in center field and not Reese Hoskins. But when you look deeper at the numbers, there is a reason for it. And so the, the Phillies have to make a decision here. And I don't know that Roman Quinn is the guy that fixes everything. But the only other thing that I'll say, and you can tell me how you feel about this, I know Cesar Hernandez has actually gotten on base in, in the month of August. Um, and we talked about his lack of power, but he's still getting on. I just look at how stagnant this lineup is and how inconsistent and inept this offense is, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And I just wonder, yeah, you're 12 games over 500 and you're a game out of first place, and this is what has gotten you here, to go back to a point we made earlier in the show. But maybe it's just time to shake it up. And maybe Roman Quinn hitting leadoff is the thing that does shake this up. I, I, I don't know. Can I go all in? Sure. Uh, I don't have the nuts, but I'm going all in anyway. Um, I, I'm going to blame the Phillies again. Uh, look at defense. Like at what point do you just blame the player, though? Right? I, like, but how does this is what I'm saying? He's a big boy. He's been in the league for four years. I yes. Mean, come on, man. Figure it out. I, I get it. I get it. But you don't just arbitrate. So you don't just go from being a guy who used to get to these balls and now not be able to get to them. And. And you, you had. I want you to read um, the quote again from today's story, because you, I, it said in there. It, I, you almost ran over. You almost railroaded through it. But I want you to read it. I want you to read the the quote from the story again, and I and I'll stop you and, and say because I want to make sure that I get it exactly right. Go ahead. Which quote are we referring to here? Well, you're talking about Herrera. It's just what you started with. Oh, about, about the, him defensively? Yeah, defensively. Yeah, he's having issues on a ball he's never had before. Uh, the one hit to shallow center field. Uh, Herrera's playing at an average depth of 323 feet this season, seven feet deeper than he typically plays. Is, There's is that one. What you're looking keep, for? That, no, keep going. That's uh, one of them. He's trading off balls falling in front of him for making catches on deep balls, but it's been a net negative. He's cost the team 11 runs on range and positioning. Uh, stop right there. Yes. He's caught the team, cost the team on 11 runs on range and positioning. That's the key word there. Yeah. Okay? Because it's positioning. That's the difference. And, and I, I know I'm sounding like a broken record with this, and I know I am. But this is, this is legitimate. Okay, if you're wondering why guys suddenly forget how to play the game, suddenly forget how to play defense, it has to be because they're uncomfortable. It has to be because they're doing something different. Now, look, next year, Odubel Herrera might go out into center field, play it in the same spots the Phillies are putting him at this year, and suddenly be a gold glove candidate again, right? Because he, would ha he will have had a year under his belt playing it this way. Now he's used to it. Okay, fine. You know, it, that could well be. That could well be. And maybe that's part of this. Maybe, maybe we need to take a 76ers approach and trust the process here. Okay? And know that this is going to be something that ultimately this is going to work. Maybe that's the case. Right? But you, you can't discount that as why it's been a, why it's been a, uh, a negative this year. 
I almost I really didn't want to bring this up, but I will. Uh, and you Go have ahead. to promise you have to promise that you you only make your rebuttal to this in 15 seconds or less. Go ahead. Uh, on shifts this season, the Diamondbacks, who again lead all of Major League Baseball in defensive runs saved, uh, they've saved 29 runs on shifts. Uh, the Phillies have saved negative nine uh, runs. Yeah. Uh, and he says, much has been made of the Phillies' struggles on shifts. But less known is, the, uh, is that the Diamondbacks get the most value from their shifting of any team in baseball. Uh, and he says that the Diamondbacks convert 80% of ground balls and short line drives into outs when they are shifted, whereas the Phillies convert only 70%. The difference is about 50 extra plays converted by the Diamondbacks to this point in the season without even looking at whether those balls are singles or doubles. Uh, so from and it's been better lately. It's been better lately, but the Phillies, uh, their shifts have been very ineffective. Now again, though, you just you said it. Is it? Are we looking at a short sample here? Uh, the long game will prove them to be right. I, I don't know, but they have been very poor when they've shifted this season. And and I had talked about this a couple weeks ago. Does that affect the comfort and the reads and the ability to make plays? Not just, oh, our, our fielder was where the ball was or wasn't hit, but does it impact their ability to make reads that they've been making since they were seven years old playing baseball? I, I don't know, uh, but right. it's certainly worth talking about. No, I agree. And that's like, we could, I could be wrong. I, you know, I, I'm not sitting here telling you that I'm 100% correct here, but I, I like to think that I'm making a, a, a rational argument. Like, oh, sure. I, I like yeah, to think no, that absolutely. it's. It, it, there is a there is a very real possibility that this is you know this is I'm not just blowing smoke just to try and be a contrarian I'm trying to I'm trying to justify why players who were good at something now aren't <laughs> you know, like I, like how does that happen in the in your prime of your career after you've had success 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 without like an injury taking place to kind of throw you off like I don't it doesn't make any sense unless you'd look at it from that perspective. That's the only thing I have to say. So there's, it's not a rebuttal. I think that Sports Info Solutions is making my argument for me, and, and, I, and I love them. That's why I think that I think that that's good analytics right there, <laughs> right? So and it's uh, just, once so, again, if uh, you're listening to us for the first time, Anthony hates the Phillies. Uh, he, does, he does not like <laughs> their organizational philosophies. Gabe Kapler's an idiot. All right, moving on. Yeah, yeah, moving uh, on. So – I must say, uh, I, I consider myself to be fairly informed for the most part. I, I look at a lot of numbers. I, I watch every game. I like to think that I know something about this uh, sometimes. Um, I, I was adamantly against the Phillies acquiring Cole Hamels at the trade deadline. Um, it, nothing that he did with the Rangers this season through three and a half months, gave me any indication that he could recapture the form that made him one of the National League's uh, best pitchers for the first, you know, nine, ten years of his career. Uh, he had a 5-2-0 FIP with the Rangers. Uh, the whip was around 1-4. Uh, the walks were up. The strikeouts were down. And none of it was good. So four starts now with the Cubs. He's 3-0, and in 25 innings pitched, he's allowed two earned runs, has a 0.88 whip, and he was allowing almost two homers per nine innings with Texas. He has yet to allow a home run with the Chicago Cubs, and he has a 0.72 ERA. Um, 
I only say that uh, because really not not so much to talk about Hamill specifically, but the reason I didn't want him in addition to really what he did in Texas was that the Phillies starting pitching has been so good this season. And if you acquired him, that meant that you would have to get Vince Velasquez or Nick Pavetta out of the rotation, both of, of whom have pitched very well at times this season, uh, though they've been inconsistent. You know, I don't know if the Phillies are going to make the playoffs or not this season, and I know that I'm not really climbing out on a limb here, but if these guys are not consistently good down the stretch, uh, I see no way in which they can reach the postseason. Um, Nick Pavetta last night was a disaster. He, he didn't get through the fourth inning. Um, he had allowed three earned runs over 18 innings and in three August starts coming into last night. Uh, he was really good against Boston in the middle of last week. But he just got bombed last night. And, and this kind of seems to be the deal of Pavetta. You get a couple good starts, you get a couple blow-up starts. Um, Velasquez, meanwhile, uh, he was really one of the best pitchers in, in the entire National League for almost two months. From June 14th to August 3rd, uh, a span of nine starts, he held opponents to a 153 batting average, a 214 ERA, a .93 whip. Uh, but his last two times out... Uh, against Arizona and then Boston last week, uh, six walks in six and a third innings. He only has four strikeouts, and he's allowed seven earned runs. Um, he, he's been a mess. So, you know, I, we had talked about it before the show that you had some thoughts on the Phillies starting pitching, and I, I don't know exactly what they are, but go ahead. None of these got, with the exception of Arietta. And, and I'm, I'm including Nola in this, in this mix, even though I'm not worried about Nola so much. None of these guys have ever thrown this many innings. Funny you should say that. I have a note here. Uh, Vince Velasquez, previous high in innings pitched, 132, and he's at 120 so far this year. Yeah. So, so they're, gonna, they're likely going to exceed their career high in innings pitched. And if you talk to guys who've pitched in the league before – that's some arm fatigue, and it, no matter what, and you got to find a way to get through it. And I'll give you an example with Nola. Just you know, Nola's approaching. I think his career high was last year, right, 168, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he'll he'll surpass that on Thursday, or at least tie it, something like that. Um, even Nola in his last start, and he was very good, but he's relying a lot more on the breaking stuff than he is on the fastball. He's throwing a lot more breaking balls now than he is fastball. Now, Noel's got the goods to be able to pitch that way. I'm not certain Vince Velasquez, Nick Pavetta have that. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I think maybe that's why you see them struggle because these guys are trying to rely on a fastball that might not be there for them because they're getting to a point where and, – and it's not that they're hurt. It's not that they're you know really dead arm or anything like that. It's just that it's just a tick off. It's not cutting like it used to. It doesn't have the movement that it usually has. Yeah, it's, it's funny you it, say that. And I, I didn't look at the the deeper, uh, like the stack cast or the uh, pitch effects things uh, from from last night's start with Pavetta. But first inning, I actually thought he was he was going to be sharp last night. I thought his ball had a lot of life, a lot of movement on it in the first inning, and then the second, it was just dead. Uh, there was yeah. no consistent carryover. And one of the things that's hurt Pavetta specifically is his slider and curveball in the beginning of the season, in which he was so effective. It had a ton of break on it. And if you look at, at, like, Brooks Baseball, I don't know if you've ever been on that particular site or anybody listening to the show has ever been on that site, but it's it's really interesting. It, it shows, a, like, the release point, um, the break, and the velocity. And he had lost, like, 30% of his break uh, 
uh, both vertically and horizontally on his breaking pitches um, from the beginning of the season to when he was really struggling in June. And then it kind of rebounded a little bit over the last month or so. But then last night, uh, it seemed like it, it flattened out again a little bit. So um, that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, and, and, and that's why when you hear them say Jake Arrieta is going to pitch in September, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if they went to a pseudo six-man rotation in, in the sense but that Nola and Arietta will still pitch on regular rest, but that the maybe even Eflin, but that the other guys might get an extra day and they throw that sixth guy in there. And, and they do have some options there. You have Jared Eichhoff, who uh, has, is reportedly close to returning. Now, the only thing that, that kind of makes me nervous there is do you want to throw Jared Eichhoff into this rotation when he hasn't thrown a pitch in a major league game since August 30th of last year? You know, hey, welcome back, bud. Like, by the way, we need you to be shut down for five or six innings because our offense sucks and you got to keep us in it. You know, can't, that's, be worse that's, than, can't be worse than Ranger Suarez, yeah, can Yeah, sure as hell can't be, yeah. You know, and, oh yeah, and by the way, not for nothing, but the Braves win tonight, one nothing, and they call up a twenty-year-old kid, uh, you know, in a spot start because Gosman gets scratched late in the afternoon, and he goes five shutout innings. And meanwhile, we watched Ranger Suarez last week just get bombarded by the Mets. Uh, it must be nice to have some depth there, no? Yeah, um, just but, a little bit. But, you know, do they go to Eikhoff and, and turn this into a six-man rotation, like you said, or do they go to Eniel De Los Santos, uh, who's, who's been up a, a couple times this season? They, they do have options, but it'll be very interesting to see how they play this because, like you said, the, the innings are now an issue at this point in the season. They're going to be, you know, not only hitting walls, but they're going to have to break through these walls that they have not experienced before. And though Noel has been so good this season, the same principle does apply to him. And he has had arm issues in the past. So it's something to, something to consider. And really, it's a bigger point across the board. You know, when you look at who's going to win the NL East, is it going to be the, the Nationals with some insane comeback over the last six weeks? Or is it going to be the Braves or Phillies? How much does experience really play a role here? Because you look at the Phillies roster, and this is new to a lot of guys. I mean, as Drupal Cabrera has been around the block, Carlos Santana has been around the block, Jake Arrieta, um, and, and Pat Neshek a little bit, right? Ramos and Ramos, and Ramos. Uh, you know, he played on those national teams, uh, Nationals teams a couple years ago. Um, but other than that, not a lot of playoff experience in the Phillies clubhouse. And then you look at the Braves, and I guess uh, has Freeman been in the postseason? I guess he yeah. probably made it. Yeah, yeah. And Marquez is, is an old man who what a year he's having yeah. um, but but other than those two guys you look around their lineup and there's there's not a ton of experience there uh, and certainly from the pitching staff as well so how much does experience inexperience um, the, the newness to this process play a role and that that's a, a big wild card factor in this whole thing no absolutely is absolutely is um, one thing I wanted to point out though that uh, the Braves might have a little bit better than the Phillies right now, mm. even though the Braves bullpen is pretty pretty bad. I think they got left-handers in that bullpen that the Phillies don't have. <laughs> you mean to tell me they're not they're not trotting out Adam Morgan in in high leverage situations to no. to get out the lefty? You know you know who they are though. Yeah, go ahead. You know who the Braves lefty specialist is? Who's that? Jesse Biddle. Yeah. Yeah. He Jesse pitched, Biddle. He pitched late in tonight's game. Jesse Biddle this year is. Four and one with forty in uh, with a two five nine ERA, forty eight and two thirds innings with a one point one seven WHIP. Not bad, huh? Yeah, it's okay, right? And then if you look at his if you look at his splits, um, let's see if I can find his splits here. Uh, da, 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 
uh, he's actually a bit of a, a reverse uh, pitcher. His ERA against righties is 1.21. It's 4.74 against lefties. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and they have a... Uh... They have Johnny Venters too. Like, didn't Johnny Venters like go away for half a decade or something, yeah, and then I he know. just like reemerged this season? Yeah. It's the one spot that they have the the edge yeah. of the bullpen over to fill. Yeah, he's uh, appeared nine games with the Braves, and he has yet to allow a run. So yeah, I mean they they are able to get guys out late in games from the left side, and this is I think a huge flaw of the Phillies, and something that I think is is kind of gone overlooked because we talk so much about the offense, or if if a guy has a blow up start or whatever the issue may be, that's where our focus has been but we did briefly address this last week uh and since we've last talked Aaron Loop who uh you know we we don't <laughs> love uh but he's on the disabled list Austin Davis was a disaster over the last two three weeks uh he's now on the disabled list as well and they'll remain there at least through this weekend and that means that Adam Morgan is your lone lefty out of the bullpen. And a couple quick things on him that I want to talk about. He comes into the game last night when Pavetta exits, and it's 4 nothing. And you know what the Phillies' offense is. And he, he comes in to face uh, Mets rookie Jeff McNeil with really the game on the line at that, part, uh, at that point, which sounds ridiculous in the fourth inning, but... You know he has to keep that game at four nothing. It's gives no up. different than it's no different than when Hector Neris came in to replace Velasquez. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely against it, the Red Sox. A critical it's spot. no different. Yep, same spot. same yep. exact thing. Um, and and he failed to do it, and uh, it's six nothing after the top of the fourth inning, and that that was it. You know you knew at that point once he was not able to get out McNeil that the game was over. And Morgan this season has allowed eleven of thirty four inherited runners to score, uh, which is not very good. And, you know, you look at his numbers overall, he's got a 4-1-4 ERA. It's a little bit better in August, and that's all fine and well. But lefties are hitting 238 against him this season. And you say, well, 238's not very good. But when you're talking about your left-handed specialist out of the pen, uh, where you really need that critical out, you want that guy to be, more often than not, you want it to be an 85 to 90% proposition that he's going to nail it down. And that's not what Adam Morgan is. Um, the, the, again, the control is a little bit erratic. Uh, he's eminently hittable and this was to me a, a huge huge miscalculation on the part of Matt Klintak at the trade deadline I know that the, the Phillies they, they get Wilson Ramos he comes off the disabled list and he has a great first game against the Red Sox last week and, and he's been good since he's been back off the DL and as Drupal Cabrera has been positively received because he's not Scott Kingery at this point and that's great but you know, while out, people are out applauding the Phillies for not really giving up a lot, and, and there is something to be said for that. They didn't mortgage their future. They didn't trade any meaningful assets. Great. Uh, but they, they did not go out and get a difference maker uh, in this bullpen and certainly a guy that can get people out from the left side. And that is going to hurt this team down the stretch, especially when you're so limited offensively and you're, you're playing 3-2, 4-3 games late in the year. You need somebody to be able to come out of that pen in the 6th, 7th, 8th inning and nail it down in a big spot. And right now, you're going to get Adam Morgan. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty scared about that. You know, I, I mentioned it last week, but Nick Markakis and, and uh, Freddie Freeman have been ass kickers all year. Well, here you are. Let's just play out this hypothetical. It's September. The Phillies and Braves are tied for the division lead. Phillies lead 3-2. Um, and, you know, there's runners on first and second with one out. And Freeman and Marcakis are up. And you go to Adam Morgan uh, to hold it down. How do you feel about that right now, Anthony? 
uh, I'm not feeling good about it. Yeah, it, should, it should scare you to death. It really should. And yeah. um, because the offense has been so bad and because that has been our primary focus, it's something that has gone overlooked. But I guarantee you before it's all said and done, uh, this is going to be something that, that we definitely look back on and say, they really messed up uh, not going out and getting a reinforcement there. You know, it, maybe it didn't they, have to be Brad Hand. You know, maybe you didn't have to trade a top five prospect, but they should have done something. And they should have done something more than – than really kind of rely on a guy that was a, a you know a 25 year old triple a AAA pitcher up until the middle of this season in austin davis who caught fire for a few weeks and then trade for a guy like aaron Lou because that's just it's not enough um maybe they can still go get someone yeah i mean it's it's not over you know we're sitting here they still have what uh 10 days before they can trade uh you know make a waiver trade um, and, and include him on the postseason roster should they get there so they do have some time it's something that that they, they should strongly consider uh, if, if the right guy becomes available. Yeah, I'm not sure who's, who's really out there that's a lefty reliever at this point because so, so many lefties moved at the deadline. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if there's – I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, and I just, I, I'm not, I just can't come up with anybody just pulling the name out of the – I mean, I'm trying to pull a name off the top of my head, and I can't come up with one. Um, but I, I would think that, you know – Jerry Blevins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, you go. Jerry Blevins. Let's do it. I, I would gladly welcome Jerry Blevins. I'm just Jerry saying. I was just, yeah. just trying to throw a name out. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of thing that they need to do. They need to. I think that that's a move that over the next ten days, Matt Clintac needs to rectify. And if he doesn't, it's it's going to end up costing them. Uh, we're running a little bit long on time here, uh, as yeah. we've been known to do. Uh, but yeah. before we get to one last thing, I I want to ask you a pretty simple question here. Uh, if the season ended today, uh, who would yeah. be your National League Cy Young Award winner? I know where you're going with this. The best pitcher in the National League this year has been DeGrom, but I don't see how, unless he wins, he's got to ha- a he's got to have a winning record, and b he's got to win ten games. I, I don't know how. I don't think it's you could, and I know wins are not a big thing when you're when you're picking Cy Young. But boy, oh boy! This is going to be the referendum on the new age, old age, you know, yeah, old but I mean, school statistics. Here. And I get it, I get it. But if he finishes the year nine and twelve, how are you giving? How are you giving that a, a, a Cy Young when you finish when you finish like that? And I understand it's it, the win loss is based on the team, and you got to look at the other numbers. But I would sit there, and I would I would suggest that both Scherzer and Nola. Are more valuable to their teams and pitched better and uh, pitched more to what their team needed than Degrom. Uh, if you trust War, then Scherzer has been more valuable, and uh, him and Nola are, are right in line with each other, according to Baseball Reference. Uh, anyway, Fangraphs has a little bit of a different system for that. Uh, but th- the one thing I'll say about Degrom, and you saw it Saturday afternoon, he's awesome. He has a one seven one ERA this season. That's a ha- like a full half run better than than Scherzer or Nola at this point. You know, so that, that is something to take into consideration. And I'll tell you one thing. The Phillies have, have done Nola no favors um, in terms of his candidacy so far as it goes with, with taking care of business against DeGrom. I mean, 18 innings this season, the Phillies don't have an earned run against them. Yeah. So, you know, it actually went and looked it up. I said, well, so if you took out the 18 innings against the Phillies, where was the RAB? And it would be like 196. Yeah, right and he, now, also, so. he also pitches in a pitcher's park. Let's yeah. keep that in mind. I mean, that, you know. Uh, uh, whatever that the new Shea is called, I keep forgetting what the name. City Field, I guess. Um, yeah, that's that favors the pitcher. Okay, so you didn't really answer my question though. Who who's going to win it? 
it's if I have to pick right now, uh, if I have to pick right now, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Degrom because I actually think the Mets. It's funny. They're actually. I think he's going to get the ten wins, and I. I yeah, he's going to be above. They're they're an above five hundred team over the last seventy games or whatever it is. I, all you got to do is play the Phillies a couple times, and there you I go. I think that. Yeah, I think if they. I think if they stay decent, he gets enough. He's going to get enough wins moving forward, and and the, the rest of the numbers will carry him. Um, but that's so. That's my pick. But I, I think that if if the Mets go back into a funk again, and he struggles to get to those that ten win mark, or he finishes with a losing record. I can conceivably see the voters going with either Scherzer or Nola. Yeah, I mean Scherzer, by the way, 12.1K per nine. He's 16 and five. Actually, I misspoke. He has a 2.11 ERA, so it's like 0.4 runs better as Degrom and a 0.89 WHIP. Um, Let me. I think, like you said, you know where I'm going with this. So if if Degrom's the Cy Young, who who by the way, that's that's my guy. That's who I would pick in this in this scenario as things stand now. And a lot can change for sure. Um, who's your NL MVP? That's a tough call. Uh, I have a couple of guys that I like as at the, at the top of the leaderboard, but I can see it going to a pitcher this year. Um, if I had a pick right now, it's, to me, it's kind of a toss up between Freddie Freeman, um, Nolan Arenado, and here's the wild card, Javi Baez. It, you left the guy off there that, that I – from a position player standpoint, who he's he's the war leader right now, and that's that's Matt Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, I, I see. I think Carpenter is kind of a guy that's that's sneaking into the conversation because um, he you got to remember beginning of the year he was terrible. It was awful. He, it, I mean, they were talking about like just putting him yeah. on the shelf. It was like you know he couldn't throw the ball from third base, and it was a mess. Right. So I mean, so that just goes to show how good he's been. But it's not a again. It's not a full season. That's that's my that's when I that's where I have a hard time. You know, say well, yeah, look at his WAR. Well, yeah, it's great. But he put it's because he's had two monster months or two and a half monster months. Like he didn't. He was the Phillies played the Cardinals. I think it was right before the All Star break. It was actually he, right where Odubel Herrera, like that line of demarcation. I was talking about like May seventeenth, yeah. May eighteenth. That was where his on-base streak ended uh, in St. Louis. So that okay. series that you're talking about, that was when it was, and uh, that's when. And then he that that's kind of where he started to get it together, and that's where Herrera just went, you know, off the rails. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I I hear you with Carpenter, and and I get it, but I mean, you can't you can't have two unbelievably shitty months and then three great months and say, all right, I'm the MVP. Like, I think you need I think you need a little bit more consistency, and I also think MVP. Even with the new age voter, they, I think that they look at it and say, "Well, shit." I mean, the team's got to <laughs> make the playoffs, right? Or yeah. at least be, you know, if if nobody, if there's no good candidate on the playoff team, okay, fine. Then you can go with the guy who didn't make the playoffs. But I mean, you got it. Your team's got to do well. Um, so that's why I think Carpenter's. I mean, he's I, yeah, he's in the conversation. Yeah. He's so a, I mean, as the MVP relates to Aaron Nola, I, I think that there's a pretty specific formula that's going to have to happen here. Um, I think Degrom is going to win the Cy Young. I just I think that that's where it's headed. Uh, so with that said, I think that the the Phillies would need the Nationals to not reach the postseason. The Phillies would have to make the playoffs. Nola would have to be terrific over his final seven, eight starts of the season. That's what he has left at this point. I, th- I think he'd have to win 20. Yeah, to the MVP. I mean, he's going to have to win almost every start from here on out to do that. I, I would say 18, 19 might get it done. Um, for those wondering, 
pitchers do win the the MVP on occasion. Uh, Clayton Kershaw won the National League MVP in 2014, and uh, Justin Verlander won it in 2011 in the American League. And and just to give you a little point of reference there, um, you know. Kershaw did it with a 177 ERA and 21 wins for the Dodgers. Um, he had a 7.7 WAR that season. Verlander did it with 24 wins and a 2.40 ERA. Again, it was 2011. Runs were up a little bit, uh, and you know he was in the American League also. He did it with an 8.6 WAR, um, according to Baseball Reference. Now you use those same those same kind of ground rules here, and Nola and DeGrom both have a 7.9 war this season. There's no reason to think that that won't climb into the eights before it's all said and done. You know, Nola, for his part, has a 2.24 ERA, a .980 whip, um, and, and the thing that you have to, I think, take into consideration, and this is part of the reason why, why though DeGrom's numbers are actually better than Nola's across the board, but they have the same war, not only do you have to take into consideration quality of opponent and park factors, but look at the defense. And again, the fact that Aaron Nola has this ERA with such a bad defense, and he has not given up an uh, unearned run this season, by the way. How about that? Isn't that crazy? In 25 starts, all 40 of his runs have been earned. So you say, well, the defense hasn't really faulted him. That's not true, though, because we know that the defensive run save metrics have nothing to do about, you know, or nothing to do with errors. It's about range. It's about making plays on, on balls that other players can. And clearly, we know how historically awful this Phillies defense has been. So for Nola to have these numbers with this defense, I, I think says a hell of a lot about him. I would just be interested to know if his ERA is sitting at 224 right now, uh, what would it be if he had a league average defense? I, I would I would venture a guess to say that it would probably be around like you know the, uh, the two, right around two, two? right yeah. around two. Yeah. So I probably. mean, when you look at it that way, you go, man, like there's probably a little bit more there than what we see, and so the war is there. Um, but the Phillies have to make the playoffs, and he's got to be spectacular down the stretch. There is a path for him to do it, uh, but it, I, I would still say he's a long shot at this point. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Okay. Hey, uh, by the by the way, before yeah. I get to one last thing, you know what I just learned? Mm. Odubel Herrera's first name is not Odubel. You're gonna blow my mind here. Do you, think of, this is crazy. I, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. His first name, Odubel, is his middle name. Okay. <laughs> I say okay. it. I, yeah, I say it. <laughs> his first name is David. David. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. seriously. Like I, I now never. batting for the Phillies. <laughs> I would David never, Herrera. I yeah. would never think that a guy with a middle name of Odubel is a first name of David. Yeah, God. I, you know, as many times as I've probably been on this guy's baseball reference page, too, I, I yeah. never uh, saw that uh, before. How about it? So, anyway. There you just go. Thought I, just there thought I'd go. throw that out there. Uh, and I, I actually of... have one last thing before one last thing. Yeah. I, I told you this, and so I'm going to frame it as a question, but I know you know the answer. So why don't you tell the people who the Phillies' best everyday defensive player is in terms of uh, run save this season? <laughs> it's Carlos Santana. Yeah, and well, and how many runs has he saved? Zero. That's right. That's <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. I saw that and I said, "You've got to be, you've got to be kidding me!" But now it makes perfect sense. That's why uh, you know uh, Gabe Kapler didn't hit Justin Bohr against Degrom the other day, despite being eight for twenty-one lifetime against him entering Saturday's game because he had to get that that stellar defensive, uh, you know, that that glove in the lineup of Carlos Santana. You know, yeah. Were you annoyed last night when he hit that two-run homer? By the way, in the sixth inning when they were yeah, down like yeah. six nothing, I hate him. 
No, I wasn't annoyed. Dude, I hate him. I, I, I don't hate him. I actually I, found myself agreeing just, with Howard Eskin. He's like, and, and he's talking to uh, Joe Giglio today and uh, on the radio, and he says, yeah, and Carlos Santana hits that, that garbage, meaningless home run. And I was like, that's right, Howard. <laughs> you tell him. Yeah, and, and Joe goes, well, you know, hitting a home run's better than, than not hitting a home run. And, and Eskin goes, I, I guess. <laughs> I go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you feel the way I feel. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't hate Carlos Santana, but has he been a disappointment? I do. He offends me. I can't stand him. He's, he's been a disappointment. Yeah, um, get rid of him. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so, Bob, one, one last thing. Uh, and I try to go for, go for something, as always, in case this is your first time tuning into the Crossing uh, Crossed Up uh, podcast. Um, I try to find something from around Major League Baseball that could be a little bit of a hot-button topic for the two of us to discuss for a couple minutes here to wrap up the show every week. Um, and you may have noticed, if you may have remembered earlier in the week uh, since we last talked, um, the, uh, the Atlanta Braves were playing the, the Miami Marlins, and um, Ronald Acuna had been just on fire for the Braves. I think he had a home run in five straight games, let off three straight games with a homer. Um, and Jose Urania for the Marlins throws a 96-mile-an-hour fastball right at Acuna, first pitch, hits him on the elbow, bench is clear. They thought Acuna might have been hurt, like, pretty bad. Turned out that he wasn't, but um, he gets Urania gets thrown out, um, gets a six-game suspension, so ultimately he'll miss one start. Um, and there's a lot of uproar that this mentality in baseball needs to go away. Matter of fact, on ESPN, uh, a story um, appeared written by uh, Bradford Doolittle. Basically, uh, and I'll just give you the headline. I don't need to read his story because it's kind of crazy, but uh, why Urania hitting Acuna needs to be a wake-up call for MLB. And he basically goes on to say how this is a, this mentality of beanballing and throwing inside on hitters and backing them off the plate and you know machismo stuff has to stop and MLB needs to realize it and and put an end to it so what say you Bob should should we uh, be uh, taking taking uh, pitching inside and potentially hitting batters intentionally out of the game so uh, I think that we're going to catch some some shit for this, but uh, I, I kind of think that it's a complete overreaction to say that you can't throw inside or that you, you can't hit guys. Or And, and I'll, I'll kind of break this down for you. I mean, you look at what Acuna had done to the Marlins in that series, all the leadoff homers. I mean, he just wreaked havoc, and he was certainly comfortable, uh, and he was killing them. And, you know, in, in the aftermath or in the wake of him, uh, Urania hitting Acuna, it was he's a coward and, and he should be suspended for the rest of the year. And how dare he? And I just think that that is a, um, a politically correct 2018 overreaction to something that has been a fundamental part of baseball uh, for over 100 years. When a guy is overly comfortable and, and he's killing you and, and he's sitting on the outer half of the plate, You've got to work them inside. Now, do I want a guy to get hurt? No. Uh, do I want uh, you know someone to get plonked on the elbow with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball? I, I don't. And there is something a little bit archaic to it. And I, I'm not condoning that, that you throw at somebody and hurt them. And certainly when you do that, you run the risk of hurting or injuring somebody. I get it. But to act like uh, you know Jose Urania stood on the mound and, and you know shot a firecracker in the guy's face, I mean, it just – 
it's ridiculous. And you do have to throw on the inner half of the plate. You do have to make a guy uncomfortable. That is how it goes, you know. And so I, I think that the outrage is, is kind of ridiculous. I think it's an overreaction. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if you throw in there, if you're a guy like Randy Johnson or, or Pedro Martinez, uh, the guys that were really good at it, you know, we're talking about Hall of Fame talents here. They did it with a little bit more precision than, than maybe this kid would. But you've got to establish that inner half of the plate. And I, I think that it's kind of, it's kind of crazy, this, this over, what I think is an overreaction to what happened. Yeah. And if you really want to uh, uh, get into a lather over the, um, the, the people, the kind of people who are so, uh, so much of an uproar over this, read Bradford Doolittle's story because he's outrageous with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, like you, you open up Twitter and you're like, well, Ronald, Ronald Acuna is, a, is an emerging star, and, and Jose Urania is a coward. And he shouldn't be able to throw a baseball in a game until 2019. Like, yeah, and everybody's complaining because Uranus hit 25 batters in the last two seasons. Yeah, uh, which is the most in the majors. Guess who he's tied with? Go ahead. Two former Phillies. Okay, what Charlie Morton? Yes, yeah, is one. That's right. correct. Nice, go me. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me the other one? I don't know who else is out there. Hel- Helixson, I guess. Yeah, I don't no. know. I don't know who. Cole Hamels. Oh, how about it? Really? Yeah. yeah. So are they headhunting pitchers? Yeah, are they, are those are kind of those not, are the kind of guys who are exactly, headhunters. No. No. Okay. All right. So let's calm the hell down for just a second. All right. Yeah. With, with that said, you know, Mattingly comes out right, and he goes, "Oh, you know, he didn't mean to do it." Like, oh yeah, he meant to do it, but let's not act like he's he's the first person in the history of Major League Baseball to do this. He you certainly know? meant to do it. He absolutely meant to do it. Did he mean to hit him on the elbow? No. But was he headhunting? No. He threw the ball, you know, he threw a fastball on the hip. That's where you throw it if you're throwing at a guy. All right? Big deal. It's a, it's part of the game. Yeah, okay. You don't want to throwing a 97-mile-an-hour object at somebody. is called assault. Bradford Doolittle, yeah. get over yourself right, yeah, a little pump bit. The okay? here, yeah. assault. I mean, come on. Yeah. For God's sake, there's this, the, the, the entire sport of hockey is guys shooting frozen rubber over 100 miles per hour at another guy's head. Yeah. Okay? Should we just stop that? Yeah, every time someone okay. bangs a one-timer, it's assault <laughs> when a defenseman blocks it. Come, come on. Come on now. I mean, it's part of the game. It's part of the game. And you you are exactly right. You cannot let a hitter get comfortable at the plate. You have to keep them off balance. That's what your job is as a pitcher it's what your job is it's part of it's and that's part of the the beauty of the sport it's because it's a cat and mouse a little bit you know you throw in on a guy now is the hitter going to back away or is he going to stand in there a little bit more if he comes back up and gets into the same spot do you throw in again you know do you give up on that you know, it's, it's beautiful to watch it go back and forth it's you know what nobody's throwing at anybody's head like if he was throwing if he threw at Ronald Acuna's head 98 miles per hour then okay, then we're sitting here having a different conversation. Okay? And, and I understand it. Like I, I get it. When you throw a ball that hard at someone, you run the risk of injuring them. So I, I, I get it. I guess my my disgust with the whole situation is more and this shows you what kind of guy I am. I'm not like, well, you know, Jose Urania is a coward. I'm more annoyed about the overreaction of what he did. Yes. If you want to outlaw from baseball, look, I don't have the strength to really argue about it. But what I know is that this is a guy that was was just red hot. He was extraordinarily comfortable, and 
you have to get them off the plate a little bit. Maybe in a perfect world, you, you buzz them and you get them off and you don't hit them. I, I guess that that would be the ideal situation. It just it didn't work out that way. But to act like this guy committed assault or that it was a felony or that he should be banned from baseball uh, until next spring, I just think is insane. And, and it just is a, a characteristic, I think, and I know we could go a lot of places with this. I think it's a characteristic of, of our modern society and culture in 2018 and and sometimes those type of viewpoints are the right viewpoints sometimes you need those change and and you have to eliminate archaic behaviors that are outdated uh, whether it be in sports or politics or a societal thing absolutely this is one of these ones where it's like I feel like you're getting angry for the sake of you know getting angry and and that's to me what happened here yeah yeah and unfortunately there are too many people who want to change the sport and it's happening all over the place. It's not just in baseball. I mean, we, we talked about it, you know, the, the football helmet rules. Now they're revisiting those, how they're being presented. Nobody knows how to tackle anymore because they don't know what they can ta- if, how they can hit a guy. We even had beloved Eric Lindros go to a, uh, uh, a symposium on concussions in Canada uh, this week and say that they should take hitting out of hockey. I mean, yeah. it's, it's gotten to a – this is the crazy world that we're in now. And I get it. I get that you want player safety. I understand. And that, that's the balance that you have to kind of you have to work around here. There's there's an assumed level of risk when you right, participate in a sport, risk. right? Like, you know, you play yes. football, you 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 might tear an ACL. Um, and certainly, and this isn't to excuse what happened in the NFL for the last 40, 50 years where where guys were developing life-altering brain diseases and nobody knew about it and when they did, they tried to cover it up. I mean, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to say that that that's a good thing or that we should ignore that. You know, you want player safety, but there is an assumed level of risk when you participate in a sport now can you can you do things to make the game safer sure could you eliminate fighting from hockey yeah uh can you change the tackling rules in the nfl well we're gonna find out because they're trying can you uh you know eliminate a pitcher throwing a baseball at a hitter not entirely but you can you can make or take drastic measures to ensure that nobody does it on purpose uh like urania did but these are these are evolving conversations. How do you leverage these two different things out between player safety and then fundamentally altering the nature of the game? And there's a right. fine line here. And you're seeing it now in the NFL with what they're doing. That people are going, yeah, like I, I don't want my favorite player to develop a, a brain disease 15, 20 years from now. Uh, I certainly don't want that. But also I, I want the game that I've come to – to love, you know, throughout my childhood and into my adult years. So how do you balance that out? And I, these leagues are they're in a tough spot that way, I, I guess. Yeah, they are in a tough spot, but there's got to be a there's got to be a breaking point where you just say you can't you can't and telling pitchers they can't throw inside because you might hit a guy is going too far. It's too far, man. It's be- it was too far when they took away the play at the plate. In all honesty, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> it was too far. That's that's uh, it was too it's far. Crazy. It's crazy. And, and this is this is it's it's asinine. And you're you know, if a catcher wants to sell out and do that, then then to me he should be allowed to do that. And if a, yes. if a base runner wants to to blow into a guy wearing a helmet and pads and then he should be allowed to do that too. You know, yeah. I, I wish that play with Buster Posey never happened because I, I don't know that that rule gets changed if, if that never occurred. So. No, exactly. You're exactly right. And, and, and then, we'd, you know, things would still be a little bit better. But this is what's, this is what's happening in, the, in sports. They're trying to change the rules too much. And then, and then they go too far, 
And then they're like, well, now we need to fix that. And, yeah, then, and they, then they, they paint themselves into a corner there. You're and, exactly and they right. make it we've, worse. We've gone yeah. too far, and now we're going to have to hedge a little bit. And yeah, and, and that's what you're you're seeing here. Yep. yep. So, anyway, Bradford Doolittle, take your story and shove it. As yeah. far as I'm and, and he's actually pretty good. We've talked about him a couple times on the show this season. I know. Like, he's done some I good like stories. Yeah. I like Sharp guy. And the, and he's not entirely wrong, right? Like, But it, on this one, I just, I'm just i not in full agreement with him. Well, you got you got to read the wor- the language that he uses. Yeah. I mean, really, if you if you you just don't have to go far. I mean, just go little, into the second paragraph of the story. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Anyway, anyway it's, it's not a take in 2018 if it's if it's measured. So yeah, well, what we can't ask, we can't have everything, I guess. But anyway, so we've uh, we've carried this on to an hour and a half, which is 20 minutes past our target. Uh, once again, we, we were good for one week, and now we broke we broke Lent this week. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, we want to thank you for tuning in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. Uh, make sure you. Uh, when you when you listen to our show, uh, you you download it and then subscribe to our our podcast and leave us a five star review if you can and leave us a note tell us what you think of the show um, and check out all the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network which includes Crossing Broadcast uh, with Russ Joy and Kyle Scott um, Snow the Goalie with uh, me and Russ Joy um, it's always soccer in Philadelphia Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. And uh, Crossing Broad FC with uh, uh, Phil Kaidel and Russ Joy. So uh, check those out. Uh, do the same for them that you would for us. Thanks again for listening in. And uh, we'll check you out next week after the Phillies get back from Toronto. Uh, and they've played six games against the Nationals and the Blue Jays. And we'll probably be in the same position they are in the standings they are right now. Uh, so for, for Bob Lankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo saying thanks for tuning in.